Rich Fino and I were unavailable for that part, so <laughs> we let the rookie sub. <laughs> That's from Isaiah. Much of the great art and literature of our day that we don't even realize comes from the books that we call the prophets. We usually just think of the prophets as the angry ones. But there is great beauty and hope in their writings, and we ought to ferret that out as well. The reality, though, is that the primary role of the prophets is to say, before God can speak words of good news to you, you have to hear the real news, the bad news. The reason that we need to preach on justice The reason the prophets sound disturbed. The reason we need to submit ourselves to the discipline of regularly sitting under their words is because it really is false news, not good news, if you don't hear the real news. And there's a lot of false news out there. A lot of preachers who are saying, oh, trust me, it's it's really good. It's all going to be good. Laura and I were at a parade yesterday and we saw... A church that had a slogan on it that said, uh, less guilt, more joy. I like the thought. I like the thought if it's rooted in reality. But it reminded me of the prophet Micah. Micah looks and says, there's all kinds of prophets around the scene these days. How do you tell the good ones from the bad? And then Micah says it this way. If a liar and a deceiver comes and says, I'll prophesy for you. I'll prophesy for you, plenty of wine and beer for everybody. He'd be just the right prophet for this people. That's the kind of prophet we want, right? Plenty of wine and beer for you. It sounds like a commercial. Tastes great, less filling. And that's the words that we want to hear, but not what we need to hear. We read the prophets stumble through them sometimes and and we go why are they so angry this feels even if it's true it feels exaggerated I mean I know there's violence in the world and certainly that's not connected to my anger or my self-centeredness or my lack of love I mean cheating goes on every day but that's just the way the world works everybody shades the truth a little for profit a few miles away from any church on planet earth There are children growing up in poverty, many of them without education, medicine, or hope. So what if in ancient Israel they got that wrong? We have all these social programs. Why do you have to go off the deep end? The prophets act like the world's falling apart. Maybe you ought to stop there for a second. The prophets act like the world is falling apart. Is it? We tend to avoid preaching from the prophets in all churches. We tend to avoid it because we really don't want to know the truth about what sin does to our world and what sin is doing to us because that would make people who give offerings at church feel uncomfortable. We don't want that. God knows we don't want the offering to go down. It's like that great scene in the movie A Few Good Men. Remember that? Tom Cruise and the wicked Jack Nicholson. You want the truth? I want the truth. You can't handle the truth. That's the prophets. You can't handle the truth. 
And you can't handle the truth in part because we have been fed false news so long that when you hear the real news, it sounds odd. Great rabbi, scholar, study the prophets, Abraham Heschel. Heschel says this, our inability to sense the depth of misery assisted by our own failures. In other words, the misery happens in part because of our failures. Our incapacity to sense that is a simple fact of fallen humanity that no explanation can cover up. And it hurts when you hear that. That's the role of the prophets. Nobody wants to apply for the job. Most famous of all the prophets is Isaiah. We're going to give two weeks to Isaiah. This is to remind me that as you leave today, you can get your baseball cards of the prophets. If you haven't picked them up, they're out on the round table with a short summary of each of the prophets, including Isaiah. Isaiah is the most famous of the prophets for a lot of reasons. He is a a poet. This is him on top of the Sistine Chapel with Michelangelo. His language and his images create much of Western culture in ways we don't even know. But who wrote the book Isaiah? Well, most of the prophetic books are named after the person whose life is portrayed. Often, the prophet themselves writes as well as going through it, but this is written about the prophet Isaiah. He was married to another prophet, married to a woman prophet. They have at least two sons. Likely, Isaiah lives in Jerusalem, the capital, because much of the book focuses on the city, and he has interactions personally with at least two of the kings. He has a long life. Isaiah prophesies for four different kings. Uh, For Uzziah and Jotham, for wicked Ahaz and good Hezekiah. And then frankly, the fifth king that he prophesies to probably kills him. King Manasseh. Uh, Last week, you heard D talking about how there is first Isaiah and second Isaiah and third Isaiah. And what that really means is as you read the book, there's 66 chapters, 1 to 39 sound like Harry. And 40 to 55 sound like Sally. And 56 to 66 sound like another voice altogether, three different voices. And that may actually be what happened. One is the prophet himself. The second is the school of prophets, that is, the student prophets who gathered around Isaiah. And the third are people who write, then I heard Isaiah say this. What I want to make sure is that that is perfectly understandable to you, but what is not happening here is that somebody has waited until long after all the events that Isaiah is talking about took place and then saying, Isaiah prophesied this would happen. And it's already happened. Almost certainly, Isaiah spoke about things before they came to pass, and that's why he was killed. Now, in the Christian tradition, starting at about uh, 2nd AD, uh, Isaiah is seen as one of the heroes of the faith that you read about in Hebrews 11. Remember, they talk about all the great people of the faith. Isaiah is the one who is killed, and it says, and some were sawn in two for their faith. That's Isaiah. He will tell the truth even when it's not popular. 
It's not popular. He speaks to the southern part of Israel called Judah after their civil war. The southern part has a great century. They have a century of prosperity and growth and peace. And in that good times, long before war and after the recession, in that period of great times, they build massive churches. Everybody is very religious. They go to church and then during the rest of the week, they live like hell. They do whatever they want. But they went to church, so it's covered. Isaiah is saying, you can't do that. You can't say, I love God on Saturday. Remember, they worshiped on Saturday. And then the next day, go out and ruin the lives of the poor. He says, turn around or bad things will happen. They don't turn around and bad things happen. I don't know what you think about when you think about Isaiah. But my picture of this prophet was formed over 30 years ago, shortly after I became a follower of God, and it was not from reading the prophet, it was from watching a movie. You might remember the movie, it won an Academy Award, sort of unexpected, and the person who is speaking is the hero of the movie, a runner who is also a pastor. My text this afternoon is taken from Isaiah. Chapter 40. Behold, the nations are as a drop in the bucket and are counted as the small dust in the balance. All nations before him are as nothing. They are counted to him less than nothing. Vanity. He bringeth the princes to nothing. He maketh the judges of the earth as a vanity. Hast thou not known? Hast thou not heard that the everlasting God, the Lord, the creator of the ends of the earth, fainteth not, neither is weary? Juvenile! He giveth power to the faint and to them that have no strength. He increaseth might. But they that wait upon the Lord shall renew their strength. They shall mount up with wings as eagles. They shall run and not be weary. They shall walk and not faint. I was a young man, it was a great reminder that our strength is nothing compared to what lies before us. I loved it. I I learned about that. I I think that was what I learned about Isaiah, or else it was learning to say, 
Isaiah. I love that too. And did you see that guy's pulpit? Can we build one of those pulpits for here? I, I'd love that too. But to understand Isaiah and where he ends up there in chapter 40, you have to understand the beginning of the prophet. And in some ways, the book of Isaiah really begins in chapter 6. Listen to the word of God. In the year that King Uzziah died, I saw the Lord, high and lifted up, seated on the throne, and the train of his robe filled the temple, and above him were the seraphim, the angels, calling one to another, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord Almighty. The whole earth is full of his glory. At the sound of their voices, the doorposts and tent poles shook, and the place was filled with smoke. I cried out, Woe is me, I'm ruined, for I am a man of unclean lips, and I live among a people of unclean lips, and my mind, my eyes have seen the Almighty God. The Lord Almighty. And then one of the angels flew to me with a live coal in his hand, taken from the altar. And he touched my mouth and said, Look, this has touched your lips. Your guilt is taken away. Your sin is atoned for. And then I heard a voice from God saying, Whom can I send? Who will go out for us? And I said, Here I am. Send me. The prophet is understood as a person who sees God and then everything changes. Once the prophets see God, they never see the world the same. That actually is the theme of Isaiah. Isaiah sees God and then comes away and says, oh, trust me, it's a lot worse than you think. But in the end, it'll be a lot better than you can possibly imagine. It's far worse than you think, but it'll be better than you imagine. And it's filled with judgment, not because God's angry, but because Isaiah has seen who God really is. We talk about God all the time. What happens when we talk about God all the time is that you really start to believe that God is sort of a Mr. Rogers on steroids, a really nice guy. I read Isaiah, and Isaiah says, I saw the Lord, and I says, oh, I'm ruined, because he's seen the real thing. Brothers and sisters, God is not your co-pilot. Jesus is not your homeboy. There is a God who is holy, and the prophets see life through the images of a holy God. It's like God's character shows what real life is about. Imagine this. You're here in church, and they start to sing, and somebody near you is singing very loud, and they're singing terribly off-key. They sound awful. And now, if you have a, a tin ear, you're not musically sensitive, you don't care all that much. And frankly, if the kid singing loud and bad is your grandchild, you go, oh, isn't that cute? But what if you have perfect pitch? You know, what if you're Heather or, or Rich, and this person next to you is just terrible and loud? It's different. 
You know what it could be. You know what it should be. You know what it's supposed to be. You know how bad it is, and it's painful to you. You look at this tin-ear grandma, and you wonder, how can she stand to listen to this? Why doesn't she just shoot him? It's that for God. God has pitched perfect character. Scale of 1 to 10. What is the pitch? What's the character of God? Scale of 1 to 10. How compassionate is God? A 1 or a 10? Isaiah says, in terms of God's compassion, look, I've carved your name on the palm of my hands. That's how much you mean to me. God's commitment to justice. Isaiah 48. Do what's right. Seek what's just. Defend the oppressed. Take up the cause of the fatherless. Fatherless. Plead the cause of the widow. Stand in the place of the widow. One to ten. How much does God care about the poor? Isn't this the worship that I choose? To share your food with the hungry? To provide the wanderer with shelter? To see the naked clothed? And not to turn away from any of them? One to ten. The character of God, his pitch. When we talk about love. Even the mountains will be rocked and the hills will be removed, but my love for you will never fail. Okay, by the time you get through testing God's pitch, his character, all of us are saying, okay, okay, I've got bad singing. Uncle. But our concern for justice has to start with the character of God rather than any merely human agenda. A lot of us are social prophets. We're angry about justice, mostly because it disagrees with our politics. Any concern for justice must start with the character of God. The prophet sees God, and they're never the same. They're humble. They know that they are a person of unclean lips, and they see the path of sin. I live among a people of unclean lips. They never get desensitized to injustice. You know, sometimes you have to make justice and injustice uh, concrete. You have to see it. And in a setting where many of us are pretty well off, we need to remind ourselves how bad injustice stings in our lives. Like, uh, Like Dave Hagler. Hagler lives out in Boulder, Colorado. And in the summers, he's a... an umpire for a softball league. But in the winter one day, he's driving along and he's going a little too fast. He's literally going to the hospital and a policeman pulls him over and says, you're speeding. He says, I know, but I've got a good reason. Please let me go. And over and over he begs and the policeman won't listen, writes him the ticket and he says, oh, come on, give me a break here, will you? The policeman says, look, if you've got a problem with it, go to court. Well, the first game of the season, Hagler umpires, the very first batter to come to the plate is the police officer. (laughs) Yeah, you love this, right? They recognize each other. The officer takes a practice swing and says, so so how did that thing with the ticket go? And Hagler, the umpire, looks at him and says, you better swing at everything. (laughs) We hate it. We hate it when somebody treats us unfairly, whether that's at home or at work or in our neighborhood. The call of Jesus, the call of the prophets, is to get as passionate about somebody else being the victim as you are when you're the one who's getting hurt. 
especially to be concerned about injustice to those you might be inclined to overlook because everybody else overlooks them too. So what's the big idea in Isaiah? Isaiah's theme is very simple. It's in chapter 12. It says, Behold, God is my salvation. I will trust and not be afraid. We have a a wonderful little Christmas song here, uh, second song of Isaiah, and it says, Surely it is God who saves me. I will trust him and not be afraid. That's where this comes from. That's what Isaiah's name, Isaiah's name literally means salvation of God. So if it's about salvation, why all this talk about judgment? Why all the bad news? Well, judgment indicates the need to be saved. You guys are doing pretty good. You don't really feel like you need to be saved. But remember, before the Bible can be good news, it has to tell us the bad news. The bulk of Isaiah is judgment against religious people. It could almost say, and then I saw a group of Presbyterians. Against religious people who've turned their backs on God. They come to church, they build churches, but they say, you should know better. Going in and singing the songs and coming out and walking by the poor. How do you apply what is 2,700 years old? What's Isaiah saying to you today? First, I think Isaiah contains one of the clearest expressions of the gospel. Remember, gospel is good spiel, good news. Isaiah contains that better than anywhere else in the Old Testament. Right from the first, people have turned from God, failed to act like his children, and hurt his other children. But God holds out hope, even to half-hearted Presbyterians even to hard-hearted people. He says, I will not make you better people. I will cleanse your sin. And I'll give you blessings that give you strength to try again. Salvation lies only in God. The only question Isaiah has is whether or not we will accept God's offer. Have you experienced that lately? Have you felt like a person of unclean lips or are you feeling pretty good? Woe is me, says Isaiah. I am a man of unclean lips and I live with others just as needy of God's mercy. For Isaiah, the chief sins of God's people were that they dealt with other unjustly and then they tried to cover it up with religion. They offered God talk without changing their lives. You see anything in your life that might sound like that, the way you treat your family or your colleagues? Do you ever walk by strangers with disdain or treat another's political views with contempt? Isaiah's message calls people to come back and see God and live out our love for our neighbors. The the second application that I'd encourage you to think about when you read Isaiah, is that of all the Old Testament, Isaiah provides the most comprehensive prophecy of seeing God, seeing trouble, and seeing grace. The end of Isaiah 
40 to 66 is all about grace, and grace is not a concept. Grace is a person. More than anywhere else, Isaiah is about a person who brings mercy. See if you remember any of these verses from Christmas season. Isaiah chapter 40, the announcement of the Savior's coming. Prepare the way of the Lord, make a path in the desert, a highway for our God who comes. Or the birth of the Savior, you might recognize this. For unto us a child is born, unto us a son is given, and the government will be upon his shoulder, and his name will be called Wonderful, Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. How about the Savior's mission? Isaiah talks about it, and Jesus uses it for his very first sermon. He says, the spirit of the Lord is upon me because the Lord hath anointed me to preach good tidings to the meek, bind up the brokenhearted, proclaim liberty to the captive, and open the prison doors to those who are bound. That's Isaiah 61, and that's Jesus in Luke chapter 4. When Isaiah talks, saying thousands of years from now, one will come and his death will change your life, In Isaiah 52, he says, We all like sheep have gone astray, each to his own way, and the Lord has laid on him the iniquity of us all. And Jesus says, I am the good shepherd. I am the one. And then Isaiah says, It's not over when it's over. After you've laid on him the iniquity, after you've killed him, he will return. Arise and shine, Isaiah says, for thy light is come and the glory of the Lord is risen upon thee. Jesus said, I am the light of the world. Isaiah is a prophet of hope in one who comes to save people, even save people from themselves, maybe even save you from yourself. It's on a cross that we most clearly see God's hatred of injustice. And it's at an empty tomb that we proclaim most loudly God's victory. How do you remember all that? All that stuff about Isaiah, how do you remember it? Well, Isaiah says, the grass withers and the flowers fade, but the word of the Lord endures forever. The word of the Lord endures in your life forever only if it, only if it comes home from your head to your heart. The very first mission trip I ever did with my wife was to Haiti. And uh, I went on a little scouting trip in advance because we were going to take high school kids. And uh, this is a tiny island right off the coast of Haiti called Lagonave. It means cheese, block of cheese. You can see it from Port-au-Prince. You sail out to it or or you fly in. And uh, it is filled with the poorest people in the Western Hemisphere. It's filled with children who get water out of bat caves that you would not use to water your lawn. And you watch that, and you walk around the island, and, um, and you come to a little cinder block building that is a clinic put on by nuns. When the nuns first came to Lagonave, 
the only people taking care of the sick children were the witch doctors in the hills. And so the nuns had to start to say, no, there's just one God, our God, and God offers us medicine to help you get better. And so they started to pour in out of the hills, and then they started to train the nurses. And our, um, our guide took us on a tour of this little cinder block place, and they were so proud. They had, this is like 1920s medicine. And, uh, th- but they had started to change dressings and to change sheets. So they had ratty old sheets, but they were clean. And we're walking from room to room, and we get to uh, one room where everybody else is busy, and they want to change the sheets. So they asked me if I would just pick the little boy up and hold him while they changed his bed. His name was Jean. Jean looked like he was about three, and he was about eight. He had come in they think, too late. They had huge sores on his legs and his arms that he would scratch down to the skin. And because they couldn't afford to give him clean bandages all the time, they wrapped him in bandages and they wrapped the bandages in newspaper. So I'm holding this little boy with newspaper and I look down to him and he's got my name. And it felt like I held him for a half hour, probably three or four minutes, and he, he, his hot little body soaked into mine. And, and when I put him back down on the bed, uh, I looked, and I've got newspaper print all over my hands. Well, I'm a guy. Now I've got newspaper print all over my hands and all over my trousers. And there's no place to wash. And so we go off, and an hour or two later uh, at lunch, the ink has settled into my hands. The newsprint ink has settled deep into my hands, and I cannot scrub it off. Ten days, two weeks later, you can still see the cartoons, and every time I open my hands and look down, I see little Jean. And I remember the nurse saying, he probably will not make it through the day. And people would say, oh, dude, (laughs) your hands. I said, yeah. Yeah. And they said, when is it going to come off? And I said, I hope it never comes off. It's like uh, 39 years later, and I, I still see this little kid on my hands. That's how God thinks about you. And the reason I know it is that this prophet Isaiah says in chapter 49, why do the people of God say God has forgotten me? If a mother, can a mother forget the baby suckling at her breast, even if a mother forgets the baby at his breast, God will not forget you. God says, look, I have carved your name on the palm of my hands. And as an explanation point, I've put nails through those hands. I'll never forget you. When Isaiah looked up and saw God, he said, woe is me. And then then God looked down at his hands and saw you and Isaiah. Lord God, I, I pray that this was a different kind of sermon. I pray that this old prophet would come alive and that he would afflict the comfortable and that he would comfort the afflicted and that most of all, we would see the living God not Mr. Rogers on steroids, not Jesus' homeboy, but the real God who has our name 
carved of blood on his hands. In that love, we ask for grace.